Well, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, whether in an electronic format or a paper one, and uh, encourage you to find the third chapter of the New Testament book of Philippians. We're going to be uh, looking there in just a few moments uh, during our teaching time. But uh, as you're finding that, I, I want to, uh, let's see if I can get this turned on. Uh, I want to just to take a moment and remind you uh, of, of what's coming up in February. And something we've been planning for and praying for now for uh a number of months, uh, well over a year as we first started trying to make arrangements for this. Uh, uh, we have the opportunity to have a, a team with us to, for a few days beginning Sunday, February 21st uh, through Wednesday the 24th, uh, a One Cry uh, conference. And hopefully you've been seeing some of the information about that, just a time of, uh, of focusing on revival and spiritual awakening and asking God just to do a, a mighty work uh, in us in those days and kind of the the, the, one of the symbols of that, you may have uh, read the story in, in various formats we've tried to share uh, with you through the years, but that, that old imagery of just drawing a circle on the, on the ground and stepping into the center of that circle and saying, God, do a work beginning inside this circle, begin in me. And that, that is the essence of what we're asking God to do, just a, a, a deep work, a perhaps deeper, more powerful uh, than, than he's ever done before, that, that he might be uh, fully pleased uh, in us as we turn fully and completely to him. In preparation for that, we've been asking you to pray, and many of you have been praying now for a number of weeks in that direction. Uh, we're going to take some time here in just a moment to pray together. We want to do that in our services leading up to the 21st. We have a couple of resources for you. One is in your worship folder, uh, just a, a very brief uh, opportunity just to, to focus on uh, what it means to just praise our God and some of the, the scriptural admonitions and some of the ways we can praise God. God, some guidance and offering prayers to petition, and then just a short story uh, on the back of how God has worked at various times in history as his people have genuinely sought him. And so I'll offer that to you. We'll have one of those in for the next few weeks. But there's another resource that I'm going to ask you to, to pick up today or next week. Uh, it's it's uh, Seek God for the City. Uh, 40 days of, of prayers for biblical hope. Uh, we're going to be joining with thousands and thousands of other believers across the nation in praying, in praying for God to move in a mighty way. And this resource is going to help us to do that. This 40-day period starts on February the 10th. So it starts February the 10th and goes up to Palm Sunday. And over that 40-day period, we're just asking uh, God just to, just to prepare uh, the way. You know, remember, they prepared the way for Jesus to come and the waving of the palm branch and all that. And we're just, we're just praying to prepare the way for Jesus to come in a, in a powerful way. And so this will give us a, a 10, 11 day lead up to the February 21st and then kind of a platform through the conference and in the days following the conference to pray. So I'm going to encourage you, there's no charge for these because we want you to have this resource in your home. So if you would pick one up for you and for your family, uh, there's tables in both of the lobbies. Please pick these up and then we're going to begin using this as our prayer guide beginning February 10th, and we're just going to ask God to, to turn our hearts 
fully and completely to him to, to unite together and cry out in prayer and just ask God uh, to graciously visit us again in revival and in spiritual awakening. And so with that desire in our hearts and our minds, I'm going to ask you, would you allow me to lead us just in a brief season of prayer as we just cry out together to God in this direction? Let's bow our heads, please. Father, as we just uh, take these moments to pause, Father, we, we come and, and don't take for granted the privilege that are these moments that as ordinary human beings, ones that from perhaps a human perspective are just one of billions of people on the face of this planet right now, not to take into account those who have existed throughout history. And yet, Father, one of billions on a tiny planet in the midst of a vast solar system, galaxy, and universe, and yet you, sustainer and creator, have invited us to come to you as Abba Father. Lord, help us to never, never cease to be amazed by that. Help us, Father, to, to just be riveted to the grace that is that opportunity to pray. And Father, as we just cry out to you today, would you turn, would you turn our hearts, would you turn our minds more fully, more, more completely to you? Father, would you call us to, to a, a deep repentance, Father, knowing that repentance is that gracious call from you to turn from lesser things, to turn from things that will not ultimately satisfy, to turn fully and completely to you. And Father, we just come and we draw that circle now around ourselves. We draw that circle around our families. We draw that circle around this church family, around this community. And Father, how we ask you, we need you to move. Move in our lives. Transform, reorient, cleanse. Father, remove those things that are just a barrier to, to your best in our lives. Father, would you just even now just prepare our hearts for what it is that you're purposing to do in these days in February. Father, I just I ask, Lord, that, that, that you would just remove the barriers. Uh, Lord, help us even now just to begin to deal with them so that we might fully encounter you during these days. We pray an anointing upon the team as they prepare to come. We pray, Father, for just a, a protection in our our schedules of those times. We pray, Father, against the enemy who will whisper, it's not that important, or we're too busy, or, or we have other things that, Father, we would prioritize seeking you and seeking you together. And, Father, we just ask, as you have done throughout history, throughout the history of this nation, Father, would you graciously move? Would you move in the response to the prayers of your people? Oh, Father, we cry out to you today in anticipation and in hope with expectation that you are going to move mightily in our midst. Lord, we prepare ourselves and ask you to prepare us. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, thank you for for joining in that time of prayer, and please just let that be uh, one of the many seasons of prayer that you, you engage in as we prepare ourselves for this One Cry experience. As we shift back to the teaching time, uh, we're going to be uh, talking today uh, about uh, one of the, the descriptors that the Bible uses to describe you and I if we're in Jesus Christ, and that is that we are a citizen of heaven. And it is, it's kind of interesting, even in thinking about this message and thinking about kind of where we are as a nation right now, and we're kind of in this whole political churn and this political process. And interestingly enough, questions about citizenship are coming up right now uh, in our discussion, right? I mean, Do- Donald Trump, he, he is just being so helpful to Ted Cruz, isn't he? he? He's just, you know, he's not really trying to, to make it an issue, but he knows that somebody will somewhere along the way. And so he's just, he wants Ted to get this thing straightened out about Ted's citizenship, right? I mean, isn't that awful nice of him to do that? I mean, just to kind of raise it up and says, you know, Ted was born in, in Canada, but his mother was an American citizen. And I don't know, does that really make you eligible to be a pre- president of the United States? And, and it's not that he's raising that question, but somebody's going to raise that question of citizenship. And so, and so there's this whole churn about even the citizenship of one who is running for the office of president. And then there's the whole other question about what do we do in our nation with 11, 12 million people that are a part of our country? Some of them have been here for years. Some of them have contributed in all sorts of ways. Some of them positive, some of them very negative. What do we do with these people? And the political classes wrestling with it. Some would say you just round them all up and get them out. Some say that's impossible just to round up 11 or 12 million people. And maybe it's not even the right thing to do. And other folks say, well, you need to help them get some sort of legal status. And others talk about a pathway to citizenship. And others say that's a horrible thing uh, to do. You can't give them a pathway to citizenship. And, and so part of our rhetoric now is around this whole question of citizenship. When Paul was writing to these folks in a place called Philippi, he reminded them that part of their identity, part of who they were in Jesus Christ is that they were a citizen of heaven. And one of the interesting quirks here is that the word, we're just going to read it here in just a minute, but the word translated into English, citizen, the Greek is actually where we get our word politics or political from. That is the word that's translated citizenship here, but it is the root word of politics or political in our language as well. Let me read this, and then maybe it'll help to get a little context. I'll go ahead and read, ask you to follow along, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all 
things to himself. Now, as Paul is writing these words, they would have had some weight and meaning to the people in Philippi. Philippi was a community hundreds of miles away from Rome, but under, under Roman rule, they had the status as a Roman colony. And that was something that was very important because as a, as a Roman colony, one of the first things it meant is that all the children that were born in Philippi, they wanted to make sure the parents were diligent to make sure their names were recorded because they automatically had Roman citizenship because they were born in this colony. And because this was a colony, I and mean, again, hundreds of miles, and they had these Roman colonies scattered throughout the empire, that they operated a little differently. So it was expected that Roman dress would have been typically worn in these colonies. They would have have governed themselves according to, to, to Roman magistrates. The Latin tongue was often spoken in these colonies. Roman justice was administered. Roman morals were, were followed. And there, there was this distinctive, even though they were hundreds of miles away from Rome itself, they were operating almost as a, a little Rome. They were operating and recognizing that they had a sovereign, they had a king, they were connected to Rome. And while there were folks that would never see Rome, they were declared Roman citizens with all the privileges of that, and they acted distinct and different because they were part of this Roman colony. Said another way, there was an expectation that they would conduct themselves as citizens of Rome. And when Paul writes to these folks, your citizenship is in heaven. Implicit in that comment was that their conduct would match their citizenship. That they would understand that they had a citizenship, that their real allegiance, their real loyalty, their real identity was rooted in their heavenly home. And their conduct must be reflective of, must match, must align with their citizenship. And that's part of what I want us to understand as we look at this today. That we have been declared by God's grace, citizen of heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, our conduct must match our citizenship. So in this Roman Empire, regardless of where you were geographically, if you were a part of this Roman colony, you were expected to live and to operate as a Roman citizen. Wherever you and I may be geographically, we are expected and empowered to operate as a citizen of heaven. But exactly what might that mean? Well, what I want us to do this morning is just take a little time and look, and we'll just focus on seven characteristics, seven characteristics of citizens of heaven, those whose conduct is increasingly lining up with and matching their citizenship. The first characteristic is that citizens of heaven remember. They remember their position in heaven. They, they remember that, that where their home is, if, if you will. Uh, but rejoice, Paul wrote, or, uh, Jesus spoke, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
Just, just as it was important for parents in Philippi to make sure their children's names were recorded so that they would be recognized as citizens of heaven, Jesus says, remember where your names are written. Remember where you belong. Remember where your citizenship, where your loyalty, where your identity is grounded in. To the Ephesians, Paul said, Christ has so worked in us, and he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So to become increasingly to understand, it's, it's not primarily about my geography on this earth, but it is primarily about who I am in Jesus Christ, and my citizenship is in heaven. To remember, I am a citizen of heaven. Wherever I might be living right now, whatever language I might be speaking, whatever I might be doing vocationally, whoever I might be related to on this, on this planet, my identity, my citizenship, the core of who I am is in heaven. Now, for many years, folks have sometimes joked, well, I tell you, that that man or that woman, while they're so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly good. Have you ever heard that? You know, so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly good. And I guess that's the idea that they just walk around kind of pie in the sky and don't don't deal with reality. And, and I guess there there may be some folks like that. I personally haven't run into tons of them, but I tell you who I've run into tons of, and that's folks that are so earthly-minded. They're very little heavenly or eternal good. They, they, they get their, their, their identity kind of so wrapped up in, in here and now, in, in this world, that they don't operate out of their citizenship in heaven. The counterbalance to that is to continue to come back and remember Remember our position in heaven. Remember our position in heaven. But not only do citizens of heaven remember their citizenship, if you will, remember the position that they have in heaven, but they speak heaven's language. Uh, they speak heaven's language. Even, even as in a Roman colony, they would oftentimes speak Latin, that we would speak heaven's language. Jesus talked about the, we, we speak out of the overflow of our heart. Our lips kind of reveal what's in our heart. If our heart is grounded in our identity in Jesus Christ, if our, if our identity Identity is grounded in our citizenship in heaven. We speak out of that. So Paul would encourage the, the Ephesians, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Well, we live in a world where corrupting talk is almost an art form, isn't it? I mean, we have folks that at times make their living by being talking heads with sometimes corrosive talk. You go online and people seem to engage in corrupting, corrosive talk and comments and posts on social media or wherever it may be, comment sections on an article or a blog. In that kind of world, the call is to live differently, to speak 
differently. To let your language be that which doesn't tear down but builds up. That, that which, which, which doesn't bring a, a, a corrupting influence but brings a, a healing and empowering influence to bear. And that doesn't mean you don't address untruth and tackle hard subjects, but you do it in the right way, with the right spirit. You do it with words that are carefully chosen. The contrast in 1 John is those who speak from the identity as a citizen of the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. That's the, they, they just speak out of the overflow of their heart. They speak out of their citizenship. We, however, John says, by contrast, are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. But by, by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of of error, so that not only do we speak heaven's language, but we become increasingly attuned to heaven's language. We become increasingly attuned to truth. We increasingly are able to distinguish between truth and error. When our citizenship is in heaven, when we understand we are rooted in our heavenly identity, our new life, our new creation, as we talked about last week, in Jesus Christ, it affects the way we communicate. It is to impact the way that we talk. You know, as, as folks live in different parts of the, uh, the, the country and even different parts of the world, sometimes we develop, even though we speak the same language, we develop some unique accents, right? Uh, have you noticed? Uh, I mean, they're, they're, we just have, have different accents. There are times I, I, I love to hear people, particularly if they're speaking or even preaching, somebody from Australia or Britain, uh, they just always sound more spiritual to me. I, you know, it's just, it is something about that accent. It's just like, it's just, wow, it's just magic to the ears. I just kind of want to tune in and, and listen to that. But even, even in our country, just based on the region of the country perhaps you're from, we have different accents, don't we? It kind of identifies where you're from by your language. So sometimes I laugh because if I'm, I'm traveling in different parts of the country, sometimes I'll, I'll be talking with folks, and occasionally somebody will say, are you from Texas? I'm thinking, Texas? Really? Uh, well, maybe it's because I'm tall and have some southern drawl or something. They think, okay, tall, southern, you must be from Texas or something. I don't know, but I, I get asked that from time to time. Are you from Texas? No, I've you know, been through there. If relatives live there, I, I've never really lived that long in Texas there. Well, we identify each other, right? Well, we can identify people by their accents, you know somebody from Boston, right, or wherever it is. You, you, you know those accents. And in part, that's what this means. When you understand your citizenship is in heaven, it shows up in your language. It shows up in your accent. It shows up in the way that you talk. Not only do we speak heaven's language, but we obey heaven's laws. If we are citizens of heaven, we, we have a, a higher calling, a higher priority. We have allegiance, even as the folks in Philippi operated under Roman administration and according to Roman judicial laws. We obey heaven's laws from the royal law that James talked about. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as 
as yourself, and you are doing well. That, that, that part of that great commandment passage that Jesus spoke, that we, we are to, to love, that, that this love, this royal law, as James called it, this law, loving others as we would indeed love ourselves. When, when, when confronted with, with shutting up, basically, uh, Peter and John, some of those early apostles, they, they were ordered by the folks in authority. Don't talk about Jesus anymore. Shout out. Right? And notice their response. And they replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Think about that. We, we, we can't. We, we can't help speaking about this because it fills our heart. We're, when it comes down to either obeying you or obeying God, we're going to obey God. Now, now hear me. Hear me. That, that, that's not an excuse to be arrogant or rude or just bust laws right and left. The Scripture teaches that principle that, is, that you are to obey the governing authorities. At times, even when you think that rule, that law is, is ridiculous. The exception would come when there is a direct contradiction to the, the commandments of God. And in those moments, like Peter, like John, we must obey God rather than men. And so as a citizen of heaven, regardless of where I'm at geographically, Regardless of where I'm at in the socioeconomic scale, my highest calling, my highest allegiance is to obey the law of the land from which I come, to obey heaven's laws. So back to Philippians, Peter, uh, Paul writes about imitating him. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's holding up conduct matching their citizenship. The contrast in verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. There are those that are imitating Paul that, that understand that there's this call to obey heaven's laws, and there are those whose mind is so set on earthly things that they, they follow a pathway of destruction. They follow this pathway of destruction. I, I'll just, let me just share this, and, and, and please hear my heart on this. I, I'm not trying to say this harsh or judgmentally, but, but with a pastor's heart. When you've been doing this for a while, you see things, and you see sometimes patterns, and it sometimes breaks your heart to watch those patterns. And I just came across another one in the past couple of weeks, and that's in some sense why this is a little fresh for me. But I have, have seen folks that, for one reason or the other, they walk away from the fellowship of the church. 
And maybe they go to another church, or maybe they just drop off altogether. Maybe they're mad. They're mad at something that happened or something that didn't happen or, or they should have done this or, or whatever. And, you know, uh, they, they, a lot of times they have very spiritual-sounding reasons for it. And what I have watched, and, and I'm not saying in every case, but what I have watched in enough cases is that sometimes there becomes a trajectory in their life. And that, that walking away is some kind of indicating not only are they walking away from a fellowship, they're, they're stepping away from the Lord. And, and I've seen folks begin a, a spiral downward and just encountered again another one a couple of weeks ago. And just, it breaks your heart. Because instead of walking According to heaven's laws, instead of being an imitator of the example of Paul and others, they began to, to fix their minds on earthly things. They began to, to, to walk in a way and notice his expression, uh, I tell you, even with tears. The pastor's heartbreaking. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. And, 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 I, and I've seen that happen. And it does break your heart. Our calling is different. Our calling is to, is to remember our position in heaven, to speak heaven's language, to obey heaven's laws, and to demonstrate a loyalty to heaven's calls, to demonstrate this passionate loyalty to heaven's calls so that when they, when they say, shut up, don't speak about Jesus anymore, they say, we can't do that. We can't do that because we have this, this passionate loyalty to heaven's calls, that this calling of Jesus that he, he made crystal clear as he was getting ready to ascend. Go, therefore, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Please hear that, that, that great commission passage. Understand the great commission is not politically correct. It, has, it wasn't politically correct when Paul was writing to the Philippians. It's not politically correct today. To say that there is only one way to be right with God, and that way is through Jesus Christ. To, to declare that, that, that all people need to hear the name of Jesus Christ. There are always going to be folks that are going to oppose that. There are always going to be a folks that say, uh, that, that, that's not right. That's how judgmental of you, how narrow-minded of you, how harsh of you, how holier-than-thou of you, how on and on and on and on it goes. The Great Commission is not politically correct, but it is heavenly correct. It is the cause of kingdom people, a cause that drives us across the hall and across the street, a cause that will take us across the tracks and across the oceans. It is a cause to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and to invite people into his kingdom. It is a cause that will never be politically correct. 
It's the cause that folks will invite you to water down and tone down. And even Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, says, just be aware that there, there's the coming those times when people, even church-type people, will gather to themselves, people who will tickle their ears to, to, to twist and, and pervert the message just enough to make it palatable, to make it so that it is popular enough and politically correct enough to be accepted. But those who understand they're citizens of heaven understand that they may not always be politically correct. They will still choose to demonstrate loyalty to heaven's calls and to the calling of the Great Commission. Those who are citizens of heaven look for heaven's Lord. They look for heaven's Lord. Let's go back to Ephesians 3, verse 20 talks about out of this out of this understanding of their citizenship that they're looking for something but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the lord jesus christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself so, so that we have this, this expectation, this, this longing, this desiring for Christ to come. We are awaiting heaven's Lord. In the Gospels, we find the, the, the encouragement for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has Done So that we come to the, the, that understanding that, that this is not what it's all about. That there, is, that there is something more. And some of you are there. Some of you have walked through some seasons of life. Maybe much too early. But you've, you've come to understand that there's, that there's more. There's more. And, and you... You find yourself longing, increasingly longing for your home, longing for your Lord, longing to be present with Him. And there's, there's something about the more that we understand our identity in Christ, the more we understand where our home is, the more we long for the fulfillment of being home the more we long for the transformation of our lowly bodies into those glorious ones so that we can occupy our forever home in his presence. We long for the returning of the Lord. We find ourselves uttering more and more, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly, as we're longing and looking for heaven's Lord. There's two other characteristics we'll highlight today. And that is that citizens of heaven sacrifice earthly pleasures and treasures for heavenly causes and rewards. They sacrifice earthly pleasures and treasures for heavenly causes and rewards. Uh, The Gospels uh, talk about this. Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? 
As we understand our citizenship, or we understand where we're really from and, and where we're, we really belong, more and more it becomes that, that part of our lives that we'll deny ourselves and take up a cross and follow Him as our Lord. We're willing to sacrifice temporary pleasures and causes for heavenly ones. We're willing to sacrifice treasures for heavenly ones. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where your true citizenship is, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, so that we, we more and more as this grips us, more and more as we operate from this identity as a citizen of heaven, more and more we're willing to set aside earthly pleasures and treasures for heavenly causes and heavenly rewards. And those rewards are all out of proportion to whatever we might give up in pursuit of them. And everyone, Jesus promised, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. You know, when I, when I think about that, I, I, I kept going back and I just almost blotted out the word sacrifice. Because when you understand the return on investment, it's not a sacrifice, it's an investment. It's, it's an investment. I'm investing in my heavenly home. I'm investing in that which is going to last forever. I'm investing in where my true identity and my true citizenship is. If I, whatever I sacrifice in terms of pleasures and treasures is, is more than compensated by the return, by the rewards in causes and th- that are heavenly. A hundredfold. Did anybody get a hundredfold return on their 401k last year, right? Are you kidding me? No. I'm investing. I'm investing in where my home is. Increasingly, as I understand my identity, it becomes less and less about a sacrifice and more and more about an investment. One last characteristic, and that is those who are citizens of heaven regularly, regularly reflect on their true home. They regularly reflect on their true home to the Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on the earth. Contrast that. Philippians 3 talked about those who began to go down a pathway of destruction. They set their minds, their minds were set on earthly things. So that we, if, to operate as a citizen of heaven, I have to continually and regularly reflect on my true home. And that's what the people who have been powerful in faith have regularly done through the centuries. They have reflected on their heavenly home. When you come to Hebrews 11, this, this roll call of some Old Testament heroes of the faith, 
It's interesting that one of the things that the, the author puts there in that chapter to kind of explain why did they live this way? Why were they able to live by such powerful, God-honoring, life-transforming faith? And part of it is where their reflection was. Look at Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They, they did not get to see Jesus Christ. They, 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 they looked forward to the things that Christ was going to bring in fulfillment. How were they able to do that? Acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, whether it was Abraham leaving his ancestral home or, or the folks that Moses uh, led out of Egypt, they weren't thinking about that land because they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. How could they walk in such extraordinary faith in the midst of such challenging times? How were they able to be used so mightily by God? Because they had their eyes fixed on a home that was yet to come. Because they understood they were just passing through. They understood they were exiles and strangers here, but their citizenship really belonged somewhere else. It's one of the things that, that we need to have operative in our lives. The tremendous energy, the tremendous energy that's found in the present power of a future hope. When we have a future hope, it brings such tremendous power to the present. It enables us to do things in the, in the present that perhaps normally we would not be able to do, but because we have this future hope, we can. Why, why, why do folks diet and exercise? Why do, why do athletes push themselves uh, to such physical extremes sometimes? Because they have this future hope. We're going to win this prize. We're going to stand on the medal stand. We're going to be a part of the, the, the team that wins the championship or whatever it may be. You know, there is this future hope. Well, why does, a, why does a student grind it out in, in some studies that are difficult sometimes? Where do they find the, the empowerment to do that? Well, part of it is they have this future hope. There's, there's going to be a graduation. There's going to be an opportunity to enter into this career, whatever it may be. There is tremendous energy in the present power of a future hope. When we, when we regularly reflect on our true home, when we regularly reflect on the future hope that is in store for us in Christ Jesus, it brings tremendous energy, tremendous power into the present. That was the experience of the heroes of the faith listed in Hebrews 11. Now, as I try to draw this to a close, perhaps it would be good to point you to the words of C.S. Lewis. I think he captures some of what it means to live as a citizen of heaven. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Some of you are there today, aren't you? Some of you are there. You've done a lot of things. You've pursued a lot of things. 
And that's not to say there haven't been moments of, of joy and pleasure and happiness, and God in His grace lets us experience so many of those. But there are times you get to points in your life and you say, you know, I've been there, done that. It's not the end all. It doesn't deliver what I had hoped or somebody had promised it would deliver. Or maybe you're just, if you continue to walk through life, you just have that gnawing sense. There is something more. I was created. I was designed. God reached out to me in Jesus Christ for something more than just the American dream. Something more than tiptoeing safely to the grave in a nice house with a nice car. There is something more. And that something more reminds us that we are not citizens of here and now, but we were designed in Christ Jesus as citizens of heaven. That something more points us beyond this world to another world, one that is being shaped and created in Christ Jesus for us. The calling is to understand your identity. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. Let your conduct match your citizenship. Let me pray for you and with you here for just a few moments. Father, would you just graciously remind us this morning that there is something more There is something more that you created us for. There is something more that you have rescued us for. There is something more that you are continuing to work out in our lives and desire to to pour out through our lives into the lives of other people. Father, would you just remind us that that our ultimate hope, our ultimate citizenship is not found in the here and now, but it is found in a forever home that you have made possible for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, would you just even now just stir in us, stir in us a fresh desire for something more. That's something more that's only found in Christ Jesus. As you just please continue in a posture of prayer, physical posture and most of all a mental, spiritual posture of prayer, just going to ask you to spend a few moments in Holy Spirit-led reflection. And we have some notes in your note-taking guide under the heading of making it personal. And I'm just going to right now invite you just to scan those questions, those bullet points. Allow God's Spirit just to hook you on one or two and then just settle there in these next few moments.
what might God be saying to you about what it means to be a citizen of heaven? To have your conduct match, reflect, and align with your citizenship. you just continue to sit before him, continue to respond to him. I'm just going to ask right now, knowing that there, there are some in this room right now, that you, you, you are a citizen of a country that you were born in because of your physical birth. The great need in your life is a spiritual birth to become a citizen of heaven. And that birth is only found possible through repentance and through faith in Christ Jesus. And I'm just going to invite you today to, before you leave this room, even if as I'm speaking, you can begin to move, but I'm just going to invite you to to make your way back to the connect room. And there's a team of folks that they're at the ready right now. They're, they're praying and just asking God to move in your life right now. And I'm just going to ask you, we've set aside this team. We've set aside this space. It's, it's right over your right right shoulder. There's a banner that says connect. The, the folks there that would be honored to come alongside you and take God's Word and show you how you can become a citizen of heaven, how you can have forgiveness of sin and life abundant and eternal in Jesus Christ. I, I, just, I beg you today, before you leave this room, go to that connect room. Let us help you make a connection to God with Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. Let today be the day of your salvation your eternal transformation. Our folks in the Connect Room can help you if your next step is baptism. They can help you if, if God is, is leading you to formally invest your life, to plant your life here for the kingdom calls us. Just feel free. Again, even, even as the music's playing, before you leave this room, make your way to that back. They're going to be there now. They're going to be there through the rest of the service, right after the end of our service. You make your way to the Connect Room. For others, you may, if you still have a Connect card, you may want to just write a a quick word. You may need to check a box. And as you exit today, you can place those in the holders that are on the door, door by the doorways as you exit today. We want to come alongside you. We want to pray with you to the extent that we can. We want to partner with you as you take that next step in obedience to God. For some of you here, it's right there on your note-taking guide as you are sitting with those questions. Very specifically, what is the one thing you need to do differently out of this teaching from God's Word? Can I just encourage you just to, as specific as you can in these moments, just write something down just to say, God, just between me and you right now, God, this, this is my next step. I'm going to solidify it by writing it down on this paper. As you enter into the rest of this week, there's going to be lots of calls, lots of voices, lots of invitations. And then there's going to be the voice of your Heavenly Father inviting you to live in light of your identity 
to live as a citizen of heaven. What, is he, what would he have you to do in response to that call this week? As we prepare to close our time of worship.